Welcome to the 1505 Club. As always, I'm Dr. David Fowler, and I'm super excited about today's episode. My guest today is Dr. Pete DeLoe. Dr. DeLoe has been teaching with GMI for many years, and he's a board member with the GCSS. Dr. DeLoe practices in Pittsburgh, New York, just outside of Rochester. I met Dr. DeLoe for the first time about two years ago when I was taking my diplomate test, and he was testing me. I finished that section, and I went out in the hallway to wait for the next section. Nobody went in to be tested, so Pete came out in the hallway and we started to chat. It was obvious during that conversation that we were both thinking, who is this guy, and how come we've never met? Well, we've had many opportunities to talk since then, and the more I get to know him, the more obvious it becomes that he has an enormous passion for Gonstead Chiropractic, but also for helping students and doctors alike, as I'm sure you'll soon see. So without any further ado, Dr. Pete DeLoe. Hello, Dr. DeLoe. Thank you for thank you so much for joining us this morning. You're welcome. It's good to be with you. Um, can you start off by telling us a little bit about how you got into chiropractic and more specifically how you got into Gonstead Chiropractic? Sure. Well, I uh, I was, uh, you know, like many chiropractors, I was an athlete in high school and I injured my back doing squats and uh, I could not get any help with getting my back uh, better to compete in athletics. And uh I uh, went to, I grew up in Connecticut and went to, you know, the greatest uh, local orthopedic doctors. One doctor in particular, I remember was the, was the, uh, the orthopedic doctor for the Celtics. I mean, I, I had some great uh, people looking at this and, uh, but my, my, I, I grew very frustrated with the uh, medical profession because um, they just, uh, they talked, but nobody ever really helped me. And then uh, my my uh, uh, brother-in-law recommended I go see his chiropractor, and uh, you know within a week I was significantly better and knew that uh, changes were on their way. And then after time I I, I made a recovery and but uh, discovered along the way that I had a, a grade two L five uh, spondylolisthesis, uh, and um, you know I continued to play football throughout high school and college and continued to aggravate it. And not only that, but the rest of my spine and, and continued to need uh, chiropractic care. And, uh, you know, in college, I decided that uh, I wanted to uh, pursue chiropractic as a career. And uh, so I, I did so and uh, chose uh, Northwestern College of Chiropractic. And um, while I was there, I was exposed to some really, really good Gonstead chiropractors. I was actually exposed to many, many good chiropractors uh, that practiced all different types of techniques. But it was when I got adjusted by and uh, talked with Gonstead chiropractors that things really made the most sense to me. And uh, so I pursued the Gonstead work um, you know, about uh, second or third trimester uh, in uh, uh, chiropractic college onward. So yeah, that's how I that's how I got into chiropractic and how I found Gonstead Chiropractic specifically. Well, that's great. Um, and in those early years, how did you? Uh, who were your mentors? Who who really did you work with closely? Well, uh, one of the uh, great mentors at Northwestern College of Chiropractic is a very specific, brilliant chiropractor named Dr. Joe Sweary, who just who just retired. He spent time with Dr. Gonstead, and uh, he was just a master full spine adjuster, uh, but didn't you know wasn't completely Gonstead. He he was not a fan of the uh, dual probe instrument and didn't use that, but. Um, Nonetheless, he was one of my first mentors. And then in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area, uh, Dr. Uh, Joe Donahoe, uh, Dr. Ben Nodig, uh, Dr. John Thatcher, and of course, uh, Dr. Gary Pennebaker, I would say were some of the biggest mentors. Uh, and then um, I was uh, told about these great seminars that were happening down in, uh, in Iowa, and I went uh, down and uh, met Dr. Troxel, and uh, Dr. Troxel and I became fast friends, and uh, I uh, spent a lot of time uh, with Dr. T, 
And uh, eventually after uh, uh, did my, my last trimester in chiropractic college with him. And then uh, when I graduated, I stayed at his clinic and worked for a couple of years. Well, you had such good mentors and you had that opportunity with uh, Dr. Troxel. When you first got into practice, what, what were your first couple of years in practice like? Was it, um, did you feel like you struggled or the certain things you struggled with, or did it seem like it was pretty easy and you kind of got off to a, a shoot and start? Well, my first couple of years in practice were with Dr. Troxel. So I had already spent four months with him um, in my last trimester. And then, except they asked me to stay and work there. So I stayed and worked. And uh, so I was literally... Uh, separated by a door, Dr. Troxel's adjusting room and my adjusting room were just a door. I was just a door away. So if I wasn't seeing a patient, I could go over and watch Dr. Troxel. Um, or if I was having trouble with a case, as it often was, I would have Dr. Troxel help me. So um, yeah, tremendous uh, learning curve with Dr. Troxel. Uh, I, I, I owe my career to Dr. Troxel, no doubt about it. Well, yeah, that's a very steep learning curve. How was it handling? Like, I'm sure on a daily basis, you're learning like 10, 15, 20 new things. Was it hard to handle that kind of information? No, load? I mean, I, I was hungry just like uh, your listeners were and are and you uh, were and are. And, you know, we're all hungry to absorb that material. And I really couldn't get enough. I mean, I would go work with the interns as well. So uh, I'd work a full day and then I'd work with the interns at night. Or I'd go down to the uh, uh, the other clinic where the intern program was, and and work with them. In fact, where the intern program currently is, uh, I was with Dr. Troxel when we went to look at that building and and uh, uh, rent that space. I <laughs> I looked at that space, which was all open and it was huge, and I thought he was insane. I said he's absolutely crazy to rent this space, but he saw a vision. He had a vision and. Uh, he, uh, that program, uh, of course, continued to flourish in that location and, and they're still there. And, uh, uh, I have fond memories of, of seeing that building the first time. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, um, let's, uh, let's kind of dig into your, your new venture. Uh, I was very excited when I heard that you had started Caracal Consulting because it was something that I felt was very needed in our little niche of the profession. Uh, I remember when I first started, there were many times that patients would ask me a question and I would think to myself, that's a really good question. I sure wish I knew the answer to it. Uh -huh. um, so it's very, it's helpful having some. And I know that even now, now that I'm further down that road, I have students. Um, it, it's actually funny. My wife thinks it's funny. I get text messages all the time. And sometimes it'll just be, um, uh, somebody will text me x-rays in a case history, or sometimes it'll be a particular question about a business thing. I, I get all these different questions. And so um, could you share with us just a little bit about what Caracol Consulting is um, and how it came to be? Yeah, well, uh, Caracol Consulting is something that's been brewing in the back of my mind for a long time. I have um, felt uh, that if for our profession to uh, flourish and uh, gain the respect that it needs and to uh, blossom, if you will, um, it's imperative that we have excellent chiropractors in the field. And, you know, we label it as Gonstead Chiropractic because that's what we do. And, and, and we're, uh, Gonstead chiropractors are, co of course, are more open to, um, I, I often, when I teach a seminar, I ask the students, if you, if you know of a more specific way to do something, please let me know because I'm interested. Um, so that's, 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 you know, why Caracol Consulting is, is, was born was to help train and teach other chiropractors, uh, how to become more precise, more specific, and thus gain better results. And um, so for a very long time, I thought we really need a lot less practice management consultants, and we need a lot more patient management consultants and mentors for these young doctors to help them get started. Now, with that said, I've also tailored Caracol Consulting to doctors that have been in practice for a long time. Everybody's got something to learn. And I know that even if I spoke with someone that had more experience than me, they would get out of some, they would get something out of our consulting because basically they would have somebody to swap ideas with and thoughts and experiences. And that's, that's what a lot of what Caracol Consulting is, is helping 
uh, the doctor to maybe see something they didn't see before. Uh, and of course, with the new practitioners, really helping them refine technique, um, helping them refine their diagnostic skills to find the subluxation, teaching them how to fix the subluxation, and of course, when to leave it alone, to, to be a bit cliche. So yeah, so Aircall Consulting uh, was something that I'd been thinking of doing for a long time. Uh, pers- uh, I personally uh, had tried to uh, move to Europe uh, last year, and it was on my return from Europe, I was trying to get the language requirement done in the Netherlands, and, and uh, things just kind of fell apart, so I, I couldn't continue to pursue that. It was, it was no longer the right decision for me and my family. So on my return home from Amsterdam, I, with a pad of paper and a pen, uh, wrote for about nine hours straight, about 20 pages of notes, uh, which is, and that's where Caracol Consulting was born. I just put my, my thoughts to paper. And then uh, when I got home, I worked uh, at putting it together. And uh, so I've been chipping away at uh, getting, uh, getting, uh, making myself available to help uh, the new docs and uh, just talked to a doctor yesterday from China, actually. So yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's where Caracol Consulting came from. And that's uh, uh, how it was, uh, how it was developed. That's cool. Yeah. We, um, that's really great that that that's happened because it's uh, it's something we very much we very much need and I know as a first couple of years I really could use something like that so it's, it's pretty, that's I think even for me I kind of had a passion for helping people because I knew how hard my first couple of years are and so as we talked about before we started before we started having this conversation um, you've been teaching for a while too so it's not like you're new to this uh, teaching game. Um, you've been teaching Gonstead doctors for quite some time. And so in all that time that you've been teaching, I know you've seen things change. I've seen things change in the time I've been in the profession. What do you think today are the biggest challenges that are facing new doctors? Well, I think the biggest challenge uh, for new doctors is to know how to approach uh, patient management. And, you know, anybody can talk somebody into uh, coming for 20 visits and prepaying for the care. But not many people know how to effectively care for the patient and really take care of them properly. You know, I was in an, I, I was fortunate that I was lined up with Dr. Troxel, that I was in the right place at the right time. They needed a doctor in the clinic when I was graduating. So I got a couple of years with Dr. Troxel. I mean, not everybody gets that opportunity. I mean, it was just, it was just a, it was a, it was just a, you know, well, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And I was just at the right place at the right time. And so, you know, the value of my experience with someone like Dr. Troxel and the many other doctors that I've, that I've worked with and trained under um, is what I bring to Caracol Consulting. Plus, uh, you know, I've been teaching for 30 years as well. So that, that the combination is, is what makes Caracol Consulting a great value. Uh, but the, 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 the new doctors are, are faced with just knowing how to uh, take care of a case and how to, how to take care of uh, find and fix subluxations. That's their biggest struggle. And when I work with doctors, uh, and I've worked with doctors that have been in practice for years, and they're and they've had very little to know Gonstead chiropractic. I'm just shocked that I, I, I don't know what they do for their patients. I, 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 uh, I, I, uh, I mean, they, they, they wouldn't know a subluxation if it, if it uh, jumped off the page. It's, uh, it's uh, enlightening to say the least. Yeah, actually, that's a perfect segue. So let's start. Let's talk a little bit about the clinical side of things. Let's talk about the whole how you find a subluxation. So um, I, I think one of the biggest challenges for me when I was first starting was um, looking in retrospect, looking back, I would say that in my first couple of years, I probably adjusted way more compensations than I should have and not nearly as many subluxations as I should have. Sure. Um, so how would or should a chiropractor determine the difference between a subluxation and a compensation? Well, I think one of the things that uh, chiropractors can't get enough of would be not only uh, motion palpation, but what I think is very important is static palpation. Um, so the new doctor uh, in, in evaluating a spine uh, just can't get enough of either one of those things. The, the, the second or third uh, point 
is the importance of the dual probe instrument. It's um, such an interesting uh, piece of equipment that is so simple, yet tells us so much. I, I, I can't say enough about uh, uh, the importance of having a dual probe instrument and being able to effectively uh, use that instrument in determining where a, a break is or where a reading would be along the spine. And it's, of course, with that reading that then we investigate with our static and motion palpation. But um, those two things uh, are extremely important. Uh, Maybe fourth on that list would be symptomatology. Uh, I know a lot of uh, chiropractors in our profession could care less about symptoms uh, with the um, statement that we just need to fix subluxations. Well, subluxations create symptoms. And if the patient has symptoms, it's important to know what those symptoms are so that we can be very specific with our, our uh, diagnostics. And of course, being able to separate sub, uh, excuse me, parasympathetic from sympathetic. And uh, it's just uh, vitally important to, uh, to, to kind of follow those steps. I also want to add that, and when I visit doctors' offices, and this is for the doctors that are experienced out there, it's very important that their equipment, especially the three-piece Gonstead set, it's very important that that equipment has the proper foam in the bench and the knee chest. Once that, especially with the bench, once that foam fails, you have to replace it because you are no longer getting the benefit of that foam, which is a dual density foam. When, when you buy the equipment from um, Mr. Rich, the Richie Lou equipment, they have special foam. And it's very important that that foam is, is effective in helping you get the adjustment. And I think when I visit an office, that's probably the biggest um, for the old docs, for all those docs listening out there, that's probably the biggest uh, mistake they make. They just, they keep adjusting on the same pelvic bench and it's the, the foam is shot. It's done. And when they change it, they're going to notice they're going to get better sets for sure. <laughs> I've just been coming to that realization with my own equipment. So I'm glad that um, you prodded me there. <laughs> because if, if, you, my... if you have a Richie Lucette, call Rick in Wisconsin and you just order a recovering kit. If you don't want okay. to do it yourself, I did mine myself. But if you want somebody else to do it, just hire an upholsterer and give them the recovering kit. It's a simple job for them. And the That's difference right. on setting the spine on this this proper padding and foam is night and day. Well, and I've noticed that absolutely the most on the knee chest. If that foam fails and their knees start hitting wood. Oh, well, you're, you're way past the point of no return. Yes. Yeah. Once that happens, you can't even set it because now I don't have any equipment like that. But yeah. when I was a student at school, we did because people would donate their old equipment to school. Yeah. Yes. And then we're trying to adjust in school on bad equipment, and we're thinking that we're the problem, which we probably were part of the problem, yep. but we weren't even recognizing that the table itself was probably at least 50% of the problem. Yeah. I, I, I'll I make this plug, and, it, and, it's, and it's just a, it's, it's my opinion, but I, 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 I've adjusted on a lot of different sets before, but I don't think anything, excuse me, is comparable to, to the Richie Lou equipment. Uh, it's just... It's just superior. They, they, they build the best equipment. And the foam is really what makes all the difference, especially hmm. on the knee chest. All so, right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, so um, not to throw anybody under the bus necessarily, but since we were talking about subluxation and compensation, how often does our profession really draw a distinction between the two? And if you don't draw a distinction, what's going to happen if you make it a habit to constantly adjust compensations? Well, I know Dr. Gonstead used to say that um, he, he called it treatopractors. Treatopractors were just adjusting compensations and getting a sympathetic effect. Patient feels good for a little bit, but then they got to come back. You never really fix anything. I mean, I'm just quoting Dr. Gonstead. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, I, I'm not aware of, of course, our profession does make a distinction with hypomobility and hypermobility, but I'm not sure that um, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with other technique systems, to be honest with you. So I don't know if they, in their, their language that they speak much of subluxation versus compensation and level foundation. And so 
but I do believe that uh, many, many chiropractors still, it's, it's it, it, the, if you can find a chiropractor that actually does manual adjusting, which is becoming harder and harder to find, many of them are adjusting hypermobile segments. Certainly, if you're laying a patient on their back and you're doing a rotary break in the cervical spine, 98% of the time you're adjusting hypermobile segments. The only way to access the hypermobile segments is either prone or in the chair. And if most of us know that the hypermobile segments in the cervical spine almost consistently are C6, C7, T1, T2, not C, you know, the mid cervicals are, are mostly hypermobile. So that's just one example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so in the Gossett system, we try to use as much objective information as possible uh, so that we're doing more than just chasing pain. So to that end, we use x-ray palpation, both static and motion. We use the nervoscope or some type of, of surface EMG machine. And we try to gather as much objective information as possible. But the question I often hear from students is, how do you determine how much weight you should put on any one of those things in determining your actual course of action with any given patient? Well, the, the purpose of the multiple, uh, multiple, what's the word I'm looking for? Multiple diagnostic approach is that you may weigh, um, for example, static palpation with the sacroiliac as your primary um, uh, objective uh, in terms of uh, helping a particular patient. In other words, I like to know exactly what the static palpation of a sacroiliac is because I think it's very important to know where the symptoms are, where the tenderness is in that sacroiliac joint, or whether there may be no tenderness, yet they have symptoms there. Um, that all means something to us. Um, and I would put uh, less, uh, if I had a patient whose sacroiliac was tender along the whole length of that joint, and yet the x-ray said that it was an IN of one, uh, I would say to myself, that doesn't make any sense that that would be an IN. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that tender. So I would, in that case, I would use static palpation to help guide me on how to uh, do the adjustment. So that's just one example. Um, so I think it's also important to uh, not be too quick to judge um, the source of the subluxation uh, based on symptomatology. Uh, in other words, uh, somebody may say, oh, it hurts when you're sitting. Oh, then it's got to be this. Or, oh, it hurts when you walk. Oh, it has to be that. Um, oh, your, your headaches are uh, occipital headaches. Well, then it's got to be this. Uh, so I would, be, I would caution the practitioner to be uh, not rush to judgment too quick. What made Dr. Gonstead great was to find subluxations that other doctors couldn't find. And he was not following a cookbook to do so. And um, that's important to recognize. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, I guess kind of to that, to, to that point, um, last April, you told a story about um, Dr. Phyllis Markham and the um, having to do with the, the EX ilium. Yes. Um, so I'm kind of curious, would you mind sharing that for everybody to be able to hear that story? Because <laughs> well, I, I was very intrigued by it. Well, it's funny. I mean, I've got a lot of stories. And for, for some reason, that story uh, caught a lot of people. Um, and I've had several doctors mention that to me. Uh, I was just talking to Greg Plogger a few weeks ago, and he mentioned it again to me. Well, well I was talking to Phyllis Markham uh, years ago, uh, and she said, well, Dr. Gonstead, he, he never... He, he never pulled an EX ilium. He pushed all the EX iliums. But she says he had to teach all you guys to pull it because he knew that you wouldn't be able to push it correctly and that you'd make the person worse. So he taught all these young doctors to pull their EX iliums. So, <laughs> of course, my, my approach was to immediately start pushing my EX iliums and to work really hard at... Um, doing so in an effective way. In other words, uh, there's techniques to use to make sure that you don't make the already externally rotated ilium more subluxated. And uh, 
those are things that I teach when I when I teach my consulting and teach seminars. But nonetheless, yeah. So yeah, Phyllis said that Dr. Gonstead he he never he never pulled Ilium. She he pushed everything. <laughs> so I, I think maybe why it resonated with me is because um, I'm not Dr. Gonstead, so I do pull my Iliums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have found over the years that when I pull an ilium, I can get them started that way, but I really don't usually get complete resolution of symptoms until I can push it. So I pull it until I can push it. So when I heard that story, I was like, that makes sense. He was just better at pushing. So I got to pull it until I can push it. And he just started with the push. But then you got to be careful because then you've got somebody where, you know, you may push, push it five times and you're just like, eh, not that happy with that. And then all of a sudden you pull it and that's, you know, problem solved. That's right. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And you're like, well, that's what they needed. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, these great, great chiropractors, they, they have the ability to know what to do first. They know how many times to do it and they know when to switch and what to switch to and how many times to do that. So I don't know if that's too many this is and that's, but what I believe separated Dr. Troxel and I never saw Dr. Gonstead and, you know, these great chiropractors was they just knew where to go and when to leave it and when to go to the next place. And uh, watching Dr. Troxel or Herb Wood or any of these, you know, great masters is just a, it's an education that uh, just shouldn't be missed. Yeah. Uh, to me, especially as a student, it was like that, that was the difference between what appeared to be a chiropractor and a magician. <laughs> like they, they just did magic. And you're like, how do you know to do that magic? I'm like, well, it's just, it's become so instinctive. They can't even tell you. They just, they just imbue it. They just yes. are. Yeah. Um, how, how important, so especially going back to how you're consulting now, when you're working with doctors, how important is it for a chiropractor to be able to adjust the same subluxation listing in several different ways? Well, um, I would say, yeah, I would say they're not the same subluxation. They just, they just respond differently in, with different techniques, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, this is, this is vital. I, uh, when I, when I talk to my cons- when I'm doing my consulting, I'll, I'll say, you need to have more weapons in your arsenal. So the doctor will tell me, well, I really like to do this. I like to, you know, I like to pull, I like to do a finger pull or finger push with all my lumbar adjusting. And I'm saying, well, that may be great for, for some of the patients, but it may not be what you need for, you know, X amount of the other patients. And so it's very important to develop your skills so, for example, using that as an, uh, as an example, you need to be able to push, you need to be able to do finger pulls, you need to be able to use the knee chest, you need to be able to use the high-low table. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would even go so far as I, you need to know how to do a seated adjustment for fifth lumbar. Now, that'll throw some people. You need to know how to do a seated T8 because someday somebody's going to come in and you can't do certain things. Uh, case in point, a uh, patient I had who had uh, abdominal surgery. I'd been adjusting her on the high-low table before the abdominal surgery. And I can't remember why she had to have abdominal surgery, but she had to have something done. Maybe she had an appendix issue or something. But anyway, she couldn't lay on the high-low table. And I said, well, let me just try this. So I adjusted her T8 in the chair and it worked better than adjusting her on the high-low table. So <laughs> go figure. But yes, you need to have multiple tools tools in your arsenal. That's why Dr. Gonstead developed all these things. It's so he could uh, have multiple tools to uh, treat many, 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 many different patients and many different subluxations. Yeah. And since we're on the subject, um, one thing I think would be really helpful for students is um, the differentiation between the high-low table and the knee chest. Because I have seen, especially when I was a student, I saw chiropractors who would have their knee chest folded up in the corner. And you'd ask them why. And they'd say, well, I just prefer the high-low. Well, yeah. now after practice, so I'm like, well, what about the patients that will only move well on the knee chest? <laughs> what, yeah. How does that work? Yeah. Well, certainly if, they, if you're struggling with somebody on the high-low table, then your first place to go is to to the knee chest table and uh, and then certainly some patients your first place to go is to the knee chest table and uh, uh, and if that doesn't uh, work then maybe you you try the high low table so there's all different 
shapes and sizes and, and, and different uh, flexibilities and, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, the knee chest table, I mean, if you were to, if you were going to travel someplace, like I've always wanted to do one of these trips to, uh, you know, uh, Central America or something like that. If I was going to take one thing, it would be my knee chest table. You know, it's just such a versatile tool and, uh, very important to be effective with it and be able to gain the trust of the patient because without that, you don't have a chance. Yeah, actually, to prove that point, so I went to El Salvador four times with Dr. Tanaka. Uh-huh. And after my first trip there, where all I had was a portable bench, I asked him, is there a way I can get a knee chest or something? So what we did is I actually flew a knee, an old knee chest down there, and then we left it there. And every time I'd work down there, he kept the knee chest with one of his friends, and I'd pick it up. So That's the fantastic. Time, the last two times I worked there, I would show up with these students, and we'd all have our portable benches, and then I'd have my little knee chest next to me. And I think they were amazed at how often I was going to that. And I yeah. kept telling them, I don't really feel like I can do these people the service that they deserve if I don't at least have this one other piece of equipment. And I think they were baffled that of all the pieces of equipment I could bring, that was the thing I wanted. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I want because I can do everything head to toe on here. Sure. So it gives me a second way of doing everything. Yeah. I mean, the best uh, spondylolisthesis adjustments I've ever had uh, were on the knee chest table and delivered to me by Dr. Troxel and uh, and Alex Cox. They both adjusted me on the knee chest, and they both adjusted my sacrum um, for a spondylolisthesis. Hmm. Yep. That's interesting. I have a spondylolisthesis as well, Mm -hmm. and I haven't ever had anybody do that, but I probably could use it. (laughs) Well, I can tell you it has to be the right person. That's part of the the reason we need to train more people, because... Most, most people, people I wouldn't even touch me that way. Yeah, I'm, I mean, most, I mean, sorry, Gonstead doctors, but a lot of Gonstead doctors don't know how to do it quite right. It, it, it's not that easy. It's easier to do it on the high-low table. And when you've got a spondy, you know that if somebody does it wrong, it doesn't oh, just, know it. it will mess you up for yeah. a long time. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I, I wouldn't even let the, I mean, even with Dr. Troxel, I'd say, T, you got to go just a little lower. And he'd go a little lower because I'd be, a, I'd be afraid that he'd be too high. But he didn't mind yeah. me telling him he had to go a little bit lower. He 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 just he just went a little bit lower. <laughs> um, and then I have a question that I think is probably more patient oriented, but certainly we can all learn from it. Um, a lot of times patients will ask. So it's funny. So I'll get patients. I get a lot of my patients come from other chiropractors, mm-hmm. and they're used to what other chiropractors do. And a lot of them do a lot of the same stuff. So they'll have an ilium problem, and I'll adjust it, and then they'll say to me. You're not going to do the other side. <laughs> so can you explain why we don't typically do both sides? Well, the only case, the only time that we do both ileums at the same time uh, is a unique situation where we have what's referred to as an INEX or an EXIN combination, where you strictly have rotation or a torque of the, of the uh, pelvis on the sacrum. And to effectively get the progress you need to get, you need to adjust those both at the same time, all in one move. Uh, that's very unusual though. So usually you are, are, are approaching a patient, regardless if it's sacroiliacs or not, you're approaching the patient and going after what you think is the primary problem. And if you have a patient that's got acute left sacroiliac pain, well, then you may want to go after that left sacroiliac, adjust that a handful of times, and then move on to the secondary problem, which may be the right sacroiliac, or it may be the fifth lumbar. But the point is, when you do a single adjustment on a patient, one is we know that the body's healing, its ability to heal is channeled to that area, for lack of a better term. Secondly, let's say that you do an adjustment and the, re, the feedback from the patient is negative. Whatever you did last time, don't do it again. Well, if you did two or three adjustments in their lower back, you have no idea what you did. You don't know what's going to work and what doesn't. You're lost at that point. So it's very important from patient management standpoint to, one, adjust in less places. And two, uh, if you're adjusting, for example, a low back case, you do not want to adjust the secondary or excuse me, the, the, the primary and the secondary subluxations in that lower back at the same time. So 
find out, try to find out what your major is and adjust that and wait for the response. Case in point, I just had a case come in who has uh, two degenerative spondylolisthesis, L4 and L5. But the one at L5 is one of those deceptive ones where you're not sure if it's really inferior and slid forward or if it's a degenerative spondylo and that's what's giving the appearance uh, of this anterior listhesis. Nonetheless, it's a safe bet to start with the sacrum. So I started with the sacrum with this patient. Uh, uh, obviously, you're not going to adjust the fourth lumbar. It's a degenerative, uh, it's grade one degenerative spondylolisthesis. The fifth lumbar appears to me to be a grade one spondylolisthesis. So I adjusted the sacrum. Um, and the results were great. She felt much better. Well, I'm doing that again because that's the kind of response and feedback I want. But if I adjusted this patient's fifth lumbar and her sacral tubercle and her left ilium, I would have no, and she came back and was sore, I would have no idea why she was sore. Or if she was better, I wouldn't really know which one was the one that made it better. So from a management standpoint, it's imperative to to uh, heed this advice, I guess I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Um, I think probably because because you've had the opportunity to um, to learn in the Troxel clinic and practice with Dr. Troxel, and then you've got your own years of practice yourself. Um, what's one of the most amazing things that you've seen in your years of practice that convinced you that specificity really matters? Gosh, I, I have so many stories uh, <laughs> around that that I, I wouldn't even know where to start. But I'll tell this one story. I'll tell I'll tell a couple stories. Uh, one one. I was just thinking of was I remember having this patient and my, I was new in practice and I remember that I was adjusting a rotated sacrum. I knew enough that I had, I had figured it out that this was the patient's problem. She had a, a PR rotated sacrum and I adjusted that rotated sacrum involved side up. I'm not kidding more than 10 times, a dozen times at least. And with with positive changes, but not like, you know, not getting better fast, not 100% resolved by any stretch, still giving her problems. And I remember going to a seminar and then coming home. And I remember Dr. Brian Anderson from Wisconsin talking about adjusting involved side up and also adjusting involved side down. So I went back and on that next visit that I saw that patient, I said, I'm going to adjust involved side down because that maybe that's the reason why. And of course, now I know more and how to help me distinguish between adjusting an involved side up and involved side down. But then it was trial and error. So I adjusted involved side down one time, never had a problem again. She was feeling 100% better just that one time. So that was a very same segment, adjusting it in the same direction, but it was just how I set it, how I positioned the patient that made all the difference. Another story I have is when I worked with Dr. Troxel, this, this, this point drives home two things. One is how specificity is important, but also how remote the subluxation can be from where you think the problem is. Um, I was uh, taking care of Dr. Troxel's patients because he was away. And so one of his patients, I have the travel card, and I seen that Dr. Troxel hadn't adjusted this uh, patient's uh, neck at all. He hadn't done anything above, say, T6 or T7 for a long time, or if ever. So I adjusted her in the lower cervical, C7 or T1, I can't remember which one. And she came back to me. Dr. Troxel was still not back from his trip yet. And this patient could not move her head. She had very acute upper cervical pain. Her left cervical spine, C1, C2, C3, that whole area was acutely inflamed. She couldn't move her head and she was not feeling good and she was not happy. (laughs) So in my infinite wisdom, I ran my scope up in her upper cervical spine and was convinced that it was an atlas problem. And I adjust the atlas. Well, she comes back. It's no better. It's just the same. Then I convince myself, well, maybe it's the occiput. So I adjust the occiput. She's no better. And I think the fourth visit, she comes back. 
and uh, I go back and adjust something else. And at that time, Dr. Troxel was there and I went over to him and I explained what I had just explained to you. And uh, I said, well, I just adjusted this. And he's like, oh, don't do that. And I said, well, it's too late. She was just here and she just left. He said, well, we'll find out, won't we? So she came back and of course she wasn't any better. She was just the same. And I just said, Dr. T, please come over and help. Now, why she didn't go back to Dr. Troxel, I'm not sure. But anyway, he came over. I he, he looked at the x-rays, looked at my chart notes, and grabbed the scope and placed the scope down about T12 and ran it very slowly up to about T5 and stopped and did it again. And I'm embarrassed because all her pain is upper cervical. And... He looked at the film again, put the scope down, looked at me and said, adjust T7 PRT. I said, yes, sir. (laughs) I adjusted T7 PRT, felt embarrassed, felt like I shouldn't even bother charging her for the visit. Of course, I screwed this thing up pretty badly uh, as it was. And of course, she came back the next visit and you know the rest of the story. She was 100% better. And I sat Dr. Troxel down, and of course, he sat down on the edge of his pelvic bench and went into a story about this patient that he'd shared with Dr. Gonstead, and he did the same thing. And he said, sometimes you've just got to stay out of that area. You've got to go lower, go lower, look lower, look lower. So I don't know. That was that was a very interesting case. I've, I've told that story many times in seminars, and it always gets an interesting reaction. But uh, yeah, that, that one was... Uh, that was enlightening. Of course, there's there's many, many, many cases of patients with uh, getting visceral changes, and you know, uh, uh, you know, I could go on and on about uh, those case studies. Yeah, it's it's weird to me because I think that um, part of the problem is if you've never experienced specificity, then you may then you don't know what, you don't know what you don't know, so you don't know what you're missing. Mm-hmm. But then once you experience it, like for me as a patient. Um, once I experienced it, it was like, I can never go back yeah. to not knowing what I've now experienced. So I have no choice, but to keep pursuing this road and to make specificity of utmost importance, because I feel what a difference it's made for me. And it's, it's just kind of one of those things that either, either you, either you've experienced it and you get it or, or you just haven't. And so I, I have a bad habit of watching <laughs> too many YouTube chiropractors, which I yeah. probably shouldn't do, but I, sometimes I see people do things and I'm like, you don't even realize what you've done to the spine, like how many different segments you've stimulated at the same time, um, what you've done to the disc, the way you've moved, like it's so out of control. Whereas really you want to get as you want to do as, as little as possible, as smoothly as possible, but enough to get the job done. You don't want to just like hammer people to the floor and you don't want to be doing all this stuff that so often gets associated with chiropractic, but um, it's, it's like, it's, it's still chiropractic, but it's like a whole different universe away from what we do. Yes, and and that's 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 just the the chiropractors that are actually still doing manual adjusting. Yeah, there's I, there's there's a there's a incredible shortage of chiropractors that actually do manual adjusting. I have, one of my mentors one time we were with a group of us were having dinner and somebody asked him if he was friends with the other chiropractors in his area. And, and just kind of being himself, he, he's like, well, why would I be their friends? And he's like, I have more in common with my plumber than I do with the other chiropractors mm-hmm. in the area. And that always stuck with me because I was like, that's kind of a sad thing. But um, it, it just kind of was how it was that he was like, you know, we're like, he kind of elaborated that I'm into specificity. They just want to move things and make noise. And he's like, I, we really don't have that much in common. And he said, yeah. I'm not counting them or anything. It's just, what are we going to talk about? I was like, yeah, it's kind of a good point. Yeah, I had a local chiropractor come to me. In fact, he uh, he had his uh, he lived right across the street from my my practice. And one day he called me, and uh, he was in in agony, pain, uh, his low back, and he'd been this way for weeks. And he couldn't, uh, I mean, he couldn't even put his shoes on. And he just called asking for my help. And I said, "Sure, do you have any X-rays?" He says, "I've never had X-rays on my spine." Now this is guy, he's retired, he doesn't <laughs> even work anymore. So I said, well, that's the first thing we're going to do. And he said, whatever you want to do. He was just all mine, you know. So I took the x-rays and he was using blocks and things to adjust his pelvis. And we quickly pointed out and learned that he was blocking it the wrong way, that he was actually making his his pelvis more 
internally rotated. But his problem was his fifth lumbar. And uh, I did an adjustment on his fifth lumbar. And I thought it, if you were to grade your adjustment in terms of, you know, how good it was, I would grade it at about a two. And mm-hmm. his eyes bulged wide open. And uh, he uh, he said it was like, you know, one of the best adjustments he ever had. And, and I didn't think it was that good of adjustment, you know. So it kind of, uh, you know, told me about how many specific adjustments he'd actually had in his career or in his life, you know, not many. You still there? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, one, uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, but one of the unique things about Gonstead doctors uh, and my patients comment on, to me about this all the time um, is that we use a nervous scope. Um, in my case, I use a Delta T, but we yeah. use some kind of a scope. Yeah. And, once I start doing it, I often just, I just do it as a matter of habit. And then they'll be like, so what's that thing and what's it doing? <laughs> so yeah. can you talk a little bit about the scope and why we use it and why, why we're so committed to it? Yeah. You know, I, when I first uh, went to the Gonstead club in school and saw the instrument, I thought, all right, well, what, what now, what kind of quackery am I looking at here? Because the previous club that I'd gone to, they used some kind of turkey call of some sort that they rubbed their finger against. And as they touched the patient's spine, this, this thing made more and more noise or something. I don't know. I'd never seen anything like it before. And I thought, oh my God. So when I saw the scope, I'm like, what, what is this thing? You know, but uh, I quickly learned that uh, it's very simple, really. It's just a bilateral temperature gauge. And you're comparing the temperature of the spine on one side versus the other. But the difference is, is that the sensitivity of the instrument is extremely sensitive. Dr. Dr. Troxell used to say it's sensitive to a 75th of a degree. So in other words, we're able to detect very sharp changes in skin temperature, which we believe are synonymous with neurologic irritation at that level in the spine. And what's very interesting with the instrument is when you're running on patients, many times they'll say right there. And as they say there, your mm-hmm. instrument will, will, will give you a break. And uh, so there's, there's really something uh, to it. You know, certainly it's something that needs a whole lot more study to completely understand it. But, you know, thermography has been around now for a long time. But, yeah, this instrument was developed back in the 20s. And uh, the rumor has it that it costs as much or more than a house cost. And <laughs> I think yeah. it created some problems in the chiropractic community. But Dr. Gonstead recognized its value and continue to use it over the years, even though many, many had, had abandoned it. And uh, if Dr. Gonstead found it valuable, then, then I find it. I, 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 of course, now it's, it's so valuable that uh, I'm just completely uncomfortable uh, working on anybody without one. So, yeah. Yeah. So two, two of your points, one of them, when they, uh, when they do the thing where they say there and I see the reading, I'll yeah. mark it there. And then in my head, I think, they're going to think I marked it there because they told me it was there. Yeah. They right. don't know that I just saw a reading there and I didn't really care what they said. So I always gives me pause. I'm like, okay, there really is a reading here. I swear. Or if there's somebody else in the room, I'll be like, come look, I'll show you. It's right where they said it was. That yeah. way they know I'm not just I, making it up. I know some doctors have a, uh, uh, external, uh, meter, uh, that the patient can hold and they can actually look at it. Yeah. And I don't have it yet, but yeah, I did it's, it really, it's really a good idea. I mean, the visual of that is, would be effective. And and of course, the visual of an x-ray, once they see the x-ray, I mean, you know, the report of findings is over and you barely have to say anything. You just say, no, does this look right? No, that doesn't look right. Once I show them the Gonstead poster and then go over to their x-ray, they, they're looking for the subluxation themselves. And, uh, and you know, uh, nobody's taken it in my, in my, I'm in New York state and, uh, the, the chiropractic college teaches not to take x-rays. So, these doctors that have all graduated from New York Chiropractic College have been trained not to take an x-ray. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And you know who it really doesn't make any sense to? The patients. Patients, yep. Yeah. yeah. And then the other point of not being comfortable practicing without a scope, um, it wasn't uh, maybe a couple months ago. Um, I was working off my backup scope because my primary had broken, and I dropped my backup scope mm-hmm. by accident. So uh-huh. I brought it in my hand, and it broke. So I, I, that's when I ordered my Delta T, but obviously I had to wait a few days for it to come. So I was trying, I had a couple of days of practicing with no scope mm-hmm. and I was like, I need to just shut the office. Like, I don't even know how to do this. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. It's that much. Cause I kept thinking, man, I just got to know what the scope says. <laughs> sure do. Uh, it just, it was such a big difference that, that practicing for even a couple of days without it just reinforced how important it was. And then once I got that thing back in my hands, I always tell people, this is my superpower. I'm just a normal chiropractor without one. <laughs> well, you know, if we if we take the five pillars of the Gonstead assessment system, right? And I think I'm saying that, right? Maybe it's six if you count static and motion palpation. But right. nonetheless, if you take one of them away, you're, you know, you're 20% less effective each time you take something away, really. I mean, and maybe it's more because the 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 sum of it is bigger than than the, you know, altogether it's much more effective than than um, uh, one of those things alone so uh, i just can't i can't can't say enough about any of the you know pillars of of assessment that we use i mean imagine not having x-ray i mean it's just a it's just a it's just a nightmare it's an accident the number of times that i found things on x-ray that i thought to myself if i couldn't see this i would have no idea what was happening here no idea there's just no idea. And you go, how can you, how can you just like guess? It was one of my tests when I was in chiropractic college. And as I was learning about chiropractic, I would test other chiropractors. And and I remember this really nice old chiropractor had wonderful hands and he was just a super nice guy. And, you know, you'd feel better after you saw him, whether he adjusted you or not. But nonetheless, I went to him because everybody had said how great he was, yada, yada, yada. And I knew what I had going in my, on in my spine. And so he did some adjustments on me, but um, he never asked me about what my x-rays looked like. He didn't know that I had a spondylolisthesis. And mm-hmm. I always thought, you know, he's a, he's a great healer and he, he'll help lots of people, but he's missing, he's missing the most crucial piece of information to really treat me correctly. And that's an x-ray. And I like the old guy, but still, I, you know, he's missing, he's missing a big part of it. And, uh, yeah, no, we, we need to really, really uh, stick to our guns on uh, radiology and finding subluxations. It's uh, it's imperative that full spine x-ray be saved. And this was Phyllis Markham's greatest concern and um, her goal in life. And and uh, here we are, you know, many years after her death, and we're, we're cons- constantly faced with the efficacy of this uh, diagnostic tool. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you tend to devalue things when you don't really understand their usefulness. Of course. Uh, not to devalue anybody's information, but I, I think that's also why it's so important that we continue to teach what we do in Dr. Gonstead's x-ray marking system, because if you don't have a good system for interpreting the x-rays, you're going to lead yourself to believe that they just aren't that valuable. Same with the scope. If you don't really know how to read a scope, you're going to look at it and be like, the needle moves, I don't know, this thing isn't it worth anything. Yes. And and that's unfortunate, but it does yeah. happen a lot. And and we, we should always, always teach line analysis on x-rays forever. Yeah. Because with this digital age, the doctor that learned line analysis will be able to carry it over to the digital film and be able to analyze the digital film more effectively. Well, it's funny. I, I tell people this quite often, but it wasn't until I married my wife and got involved in the dental community and then got talking to some orthodontists that I found out that orthodontists have been line drawing for forever. And many of them are extremely committed to it because when you're trying to determine positioning of a patient, mm-hmm. of the only structure of a patient, line drawing is essential. Yes. And they know this. So yeah. they do it all the time. Yeah. So it, it is important. And it's not just a chiropractic thing. Because that's the thing I hear sometimes is that, well, this line drawing is just a chiropractic thing. Well, no. that's my point. It's not. No, medicine's been doing it for years. Yep. It's just that we are the only ones who get picked on for it. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. Um, so I think kind of to sum up this whole thing for, for students, um, we, we're kind of lying to ourselves if we don't admit that students often do have a difficult time learning this, this technique in the system. And not just students. Not just That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I think We're there's all- a lot of doctors out there that yeah. really want to learn the Gonstead system. I know there's a lot of Gonstead. There's a lot of doctors that want to learn the Gonstead system. And that's why Caracol Consulting has been developed, is to help these doctors implement the system in practice. This is the most crucial step for new doctors and old doctors. There's lots of doctors, many, many, many more doctors out there that are dabbling with the Gonstead work and want to do a better job with it than there are doctors like you and I who are all in 
And that's what we do. We're proficient at it. And we've, you know, we've got the lumps to prove it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Why do you think it is that people often do struggle regardless of where they're on their career? Well, because I think a lot of people, they've got a lot on their plate when they're in chiropractic college, you know, yeah. not everybody yeah. can go, you know, three days a week to a club and, uh, you know, you've some put more weight on their, their academics and getting their basic sciences done. They haven't spent the time in technique. They didn't spend the time, money, effort in going to seminars. It's expensive. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, so there's all kinds of reasons, you know, um, you know, I, I can remember colleagues of mine that I went to school with, they had a full family with them while they were at chiropractic college. They couldn't take off on a weekend like I did. <laughs> you know, it was just not possible. So, yeah, yeah I, um, I think there's with the age of uh, social media, uh, the Gonstead system has become extremely, extremely um, popular and uh, people, uh, patients are looking for it and um, doctors are looking for how to do it. See, because the cream, you know, the, the old adage cream always rises is so true. And people know. And they know there's a difference and there's a difference because precision and specificity only makes sense. Yeah. And that's what we do. Yeah. Well, if anybody's listening to this and they're interested in uh, Caracal Consulting, is there a way that they can uh, reach you or get a hold of you? Yeah, of course. You know, uh, my email is always, always good. And that's Dr. Dr. Delo, D-E-L-O-E, Dr. Delo at yahoo.com. And then I have a uh, cell phone number that they could text or call me. And that's 585-435-6769. And uh, even if people are just curious and want to chat about what, what, I, what I'm doing with it or what I may be able to offer them, uh, I'd be happy to hear from them and just chat. I've had that happen many times. Docs call and just want to know what it's about. And, and, uh, and so, you know, they don't, they don't purchase the packages that I have available, but that's okay. Uh, down the road, maybe they will. So feel free to call or, or, or email anytime. Yeah, absolutely. I hope people will take advantage of that because it's, it's very valuable. Um, before I let you go, we got to, uh, we have to do our speed round. So I'll ask you a few questions just so uh, people can get to know you a little more better personally. Cool. Um, what is one book that has changed your life? The Gonstead chapters. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I almost said one book besides the Gonstead chapters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> gosh, that's a hard question. I I like to read biographies, so that's that's kind of a you know I when I read I read biographies, but uh, in terms of my career, uh, you know the Gonstead chapters is is just been so important. Uh, I can't even. There's no close second. Of course, the Purple Book has was been great too, but. Um, um, I'm just trying to think of a, a more obscure book that, uh, I can, I can relate to my favorite book that I've, that I've read. I'll just say that, uh, I read this book recently. There's two, two favorite books I have. One is called Undaunted Courage, and that's about the Lewis and Clark expedition. I just love that book. It's fabulous. The second book that I love is, is called Empire of the Summer Moon. And it's a book about, uh, one of the last Native American, uh, uh, infantries and tribes and it's just so fascinating so anyway there there you have it Interesting. um what's i know you're into music so name a song or an artist that nobody would ever guess that you like um chuck mangione he's a local rochesterian and he went to the eastman school of music and he's uh he's a genius and uh yeah chuck mangione awesome um, do you consider yourself to be more of an early bird or a night owl? I'm an early bird. <laughs> As you've noticed, I am not. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, what's your favorite movie of all time? My favorite movie of all time. I love this movie that's called, um, what is that movie? Uh, it's called Legends of the Fall mm. with Brad Pitt. Great movie. Yep, that's a good movie. Yep. And I guess the most constant question of all is what kind of scope do you use? I use a Delta T. Okay. Uh, students ask me this question all the time. That's why I figured I'd include it. And I was like, you know, students are always curious. Let's find out what everybody's using. So well, I've had yeah. many, I've had, I've had just about every scope, but that's the one I just use. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I, like I said, I just got mine not that long ago. And once I started using it, um, I told somebody, I said, I thought it looked really weird and it was just kind of funky or whatever. But once I started using it, I was like, I can tell that this was designed by Gonstead because there's just things about it that are just so great. <laughs> yeah, just, I don't know. Was it designed by Gonstead? I don't know yeah, who it was designed by. Just the design along. Yeah. Things that he wanted fixed on it. And all, they're all good improvements. Yeah. No, it's, it's an interesting, it's a, it's a great tool, no doubt about it. Worth every penny. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, David. It. it was great fun. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Well, I'll do it again sometime for sure. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you so Thanks. much. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Lillo. I really enjoyed that conversation. If you're a newly practicing Gonstead doctor, or if you're a doctor who has dabbled in Gonstead, I would highly recommend that you give Dr. Lillo a call. If anyone can help you, it's him. And as I'm sure you can tell, he's a lot of fun too. Well, thank you so much for joining me again this week. I hope you learned something, and we'll see you back here again next week. Take care. See you next time. Thank <laughs> you.